Ron's Podcast presents Pulsar by Ron Schaefer. One oh two. She wouldn't stop talking. I was hurrying across the lake as fast as I could go. The motor conked out, and I had to row. And she kept talking. The papers blew about when the briefcase opened. The wind kept swirling and swirling, and blew them right into the water. And still, she wouldn't shut up. And of course now, she had more to complain about. I dove in and started collecting them, sheet by sheet. The wind spun the boat around, spun her with it. She screamed and mocked that stupid sun umbrella in her gloved hands, like she was somehow a lady of quality. I swam to the boat and dumped the papers in and went back out. It was a relief just to have my head underwater. She wouldn't help, just complain. I got back in screamed at her till she cried and started to row. We were both silent until we finally reached the shore. One o three. Where did you get these? Never mind where I got them. Do you want them? What am I going to do with them? Sell them, you idiot. What do you think? This is an entire munitions works. You got that right. A secret munitions operation. How much do you think it's worth? Are you crazy? These people will kill us. Not if we unload it right away. To who? Your contacts. Why do you think I asked you? I didn't know it was for this. Well, what are you going to do? We've got the plans, and we're short on time. Or am I alone? Well, do we move or don't we? 104. Five-card stud. Chips on the move. Cigar smoke and bourbon. One of the last bastions of male rights. Cards to the table. Dealer takes one. Everybody else, their choice. Fold, see you. Raise ten, fold. Up ante. See you, raise ten. Fold, see you. Up ante. Call, full house. Come to papa. Another bourbon. Another cigar. Jazz in the background. One asshole wanted Bach. They gave in as the game went on. Pipe organ with your shuffle. Deal, fold, collect. Wear your opponent down. Let day pass into night, pass into day. Great heroes on the felt green battlefield. Until the wallet's empty. And it's time to go home. 105. I'm feeling like I'm at the end of something. Each day comes by and more peels away from my skin. 
I let some of the animals go yesterday, just to watch them head off to wherever. Saved the weak ones, closed the books, redid the library, let loose that one hanging between the living room windows that I had all but forgotten about. God, let things now change and make them for the better. 106. She looked like a lady wrestler. We only accept lawyers who are willing to work, she said, grinding her teeth. She was called Mother. Everyone was supposed to call her that, even me. It's the kind of practice Hollywood makes movies about. They deal with unscrupulous types. Read organized crime into that. She looked over my portfolio with a microscope. Anyone caught working against the system will have to pay the consequences, she implored, looking up from her portfolio examination. Think you can handle that? Yes, I said, getting the impression that mother takes delight in finding out who's naughty and nice and personally punishing the naughty. Looks fine, she said, closing the book. When can you start? Anytime, I answered. Good. You can start now. Go in the other room and pull file number 132. I assumed by saying any time that it meant tomorrow. I was supposed to meet with the lieutenant in an hour. No sense getting off to a rocky start or blow cover. Not with mother watching. So I went into the other room and pulled file 132. 107. Disgust is what it brought me. Utter disgust. The violence of the crime scene, the disarray and confusion, not to mention the blood, that much killing all at once, tape barriers stretched across whole streets, chalk-marked bodies on the wet pavement, flashing lights as far as the eye can see, glittering the night like a festival, bodies in street clothes, bodies in uniforms. Ambulance crews swarming like bees. No need to race anybody to the hospital. What happened before I got here? I can only testify to the results. The city's going to make a big stink about this. So should my neighborhood. Who's going to want to come back here tomorrow, or even stay through the night? 108. Yet another retreat. I was teaching people about religion. We were on a walk to take in the fresh air, compare notes, make philosophical points about the things we see along the way. One by one, they began to drop out behind my back, or so I assume. I turn around, and they're all gone, scattered about the fields. Some shepherd I turned out to be. 109. That damn song kept going through my head. I don't even know who did it, although Neil Diamond comes to mind. Tornudas, Tornudas, or whatever in the hell he's singing. I live in the cramped quarters of a house with lots of big people. Well, I guess next to me everybody's big. I was trying to clean up after these pigs, but somebody put that on the stereo, and I ended up with that stupid song going through me all day. We arranged to have an outdoor movie in the neighbor's backyard one night. 
that little shit gal who lives over there started chasing me again, and she always does that. I had to run. People gathered, and the movie started showing as night fell, and I made a beeline down the block to get away from that girl. I managed to double back and found my way into a corner of my own yard where I could watch the screen. Still, I kept hearing that, Tornudas! Tornudas! So loudly, I swear it was in the movie. That gal showed up again after the movie, and we started another chase. At least this time, my big, messy roommates decided to clean up the joint and didn't wait for me to do it. I guess they realized I was busy. I'm starting to feel like Cinderella around here. All I need is a prince and a glass slipper to complete the picture. Instead, I'm stuck with a frenzied neighbor and Tornudas, Tornudas. What the hell is that song, anyway? 110. Waiting at an obscure car stop in a forgettable part of town for a trolley to come by. Fog, dawn, strangers. Life is about waiting. One eleven. In this part of France, it's hard to find someone who can come to the mechanical rescue of an ailing travel ship, like a Winnebago gone awry. Lots of people here have never even seen a Winnebago. Don't ask me how we got a hold of one here in the first place. We were just doing the most American of things in a proudly un-American part of the world, traveling through France by way of Winnebago. Actually, we found the people here in Provence to be very friendly and accommodating. Not all French people are as notorious for being difficult snobs as those damn Parisians. Provincials find Paris just as intimidating as American tourists. Of course, they aren't as stupid in showing up in a Winnebago. Anyway, our Winnebago died for whatever reason, and Mom, Grace, and Kathleen all went out to do some window shopping in a little off-the-map town that had little to shop for. Dad and I stayed with the Beast after I went searching for a phone. We were told it would be a day before somebody got out there to fix it, so we spent a lot of time roadside taking in the country air. Along came some guy on a bicycle who pulled over to talk to us. I guess a Winnebago is as close to a flying saucer as these people have ever seen, and this guy was quite willing to take us to his leader. He was a factory worker, for crying out loud, who biked the six miles or so to work every day. He spoke English brokenly, but charmingly, as no doubt our French sounded to him, and he invited us to stay with him in his house for the night. Considering we were in a Winnebago, it's not as if we were in any danger of starving to death or dying of exposure, but who could resist the offer in staying the night at an authentic provincial's house in the south of France? The weather was perfect, warm and sunny, and the food they served us was exactly what you'd expect of the French, if you'll excuse the term, peasantry. Bread, wine, cheese, the whole bit. His name was Alphonse, and he lived with his holy roller mother, and his ten-year-old daughter. He even broke out a concertina, no kidding, like you'd see in the movies, and we sung some songs and drank wine until we killed both night and bottle. 
I'm surprised they had room for us, but they actually did put all of us up. The girls all sleeping in one bed, Dad and I sharing another. The beds were a bit small and hard, but who was complaining? They left us with a breakfast of crepes, goat cheese, and strawberries, and we made our way back to our sleeping bus. Alphonse went to work, and the girl, I forgot her name, left for school, but his mother stayed with us until the mechanic showed up. Another hour, and we were on our way. Alphonse's mom got a brief ride home in a Winnebago, apparently a thrill of a lifetime for her. And she kissed us all goodbye, leaving us with some little doodads she baked the day before. We went on our way, promising to write, which I know will never happen. I can't even remember the name of the town now. We saw all the big historical sites of France. Funny how I can't seem to remember much about any of them as I do the spot where our oversized wheeled conveyance conked out. Life does that to you. One twelve. I play keyboards up on stage. I've probably been in a million bands. Actually, I'm not a very good musician, but I'm good enough for the job. I was considered nobody until I got in with this group. Now I'm popular with girls, although it's mostly flirty stuff. I really haven't found too many who want to take me up on my offers. I think all that talk about guys in bands is mostly bull. I usually go home to my new upgraded apartment alone. And then I listen to my cat complain because she doesn't like the place very much. One thirteen. Some years back, I had a friend who told me this. I've saved some specially preserved shit in an altogether shitless society. I try to hide mine before anyone discovers it. Perhaps it is meant to be something of a Buddhist koan and therefore has no one true meaning. But I'll be damned if I have ever figured out what the hell he was trying to tell me. 114. They're fussy, annoying old people. Yeah, they put me up. Yeah, circumstances have forced me to stay with them. But I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm never going to see them again. And they're really, really annoying. Who cares if I steal from them? It's not like any of them are going to miss anything. They won't even know it's gone. And I'll be out of here. They can't pin anything on me. Or do anything about it. The only question is, what to take? What can I get the most use out of? Well, let's start it this way. Who irritated me the most? 115. Sitting in a college union lounge, talking shit, trying to win my girlfriend back. She won't speak to me. I try telling jokes and attempt witty sayings. None of my friends are impressed. Certainly not my ex-girlfriend. I keep talking, but all I do is make an ass of myself. Suddenly one of my friends up and shouts, What if we're all involved in a murder? He tells his plans of killing somebody, anybody. Boy, that one goes over as a big bad egg lay. My ex-girlfriend gets up and leaves. Somebody else also says, Hey, what if we were all involved in a murder? This time we all start thinking about it seriously. 
and how boredom affects the mind. One sixteen. I was delivering papers on my route, which included a recycled, used record and tape shop along the way. Dropped off a stack in the front hall between the two doors, clipped the wire, set them on the rack. I turned to see this young woman standing there watching me stuff my wire clip and work gloves in my pocket. Would you like a blowjob, she said. There she was, all dyed orange hair, purple makeup, fake leopard skin top, black spandex pants, and clunky shoes. I think she was serious. I nodded to her and headed back to the truck and drove on my way. I had the strangest thoughts all afternoon. One seventeen. Found these directions on the internet. How to build a pipe bomb. Put one together myself. Went out to the mud flats. Kawumph! Mud all over everything. No wonder there are so many maniacs. Blowing up things is really cool. 118. I was invited to watch somebody shoot a police demo video and even helped out with the camera setups, although I kept thinking to myself, what amateurs, but they were limited by the job restrictions. I invited everybody to my airdrop camera shoot the following day. Got home and I found I won a couple of baseball tickets, but they were in the wrong name. Didn't think it was worth the hassle of straightening out, so I threw them in the trash. That night, at a party, somebody asked me if I was scared, but I wasn't. Funny thing is, on my way home, the road kept disappearing in front of me. I didn't even have that much to drink. The road kept visually dissolving in front of my eyes. I had to get out and wait till it stopped. It didn't. I drove home bit by bit, stopping every now and then. Next day, I was up in the plane, the camera strapped to my chest, parachute hugging my back. All my friends at the drop point below, I promised them deep sky action portraits. As I stepped into empty air, the ground disappeared below me and I flashed back to the road the night before. I pulled the ripcord immediately and drifted down without a shot. I don't know if I'm ever going to try it again. As to what caused the blackouts, if that's what you call them, I'm afraid to find out. 119. We finally found this old theater after months of searching. It must have been grand in its day. Yeah, it was old and musty, but we like them that way. It looked perfect for putting on our play. We were even contemplating a whole season of stuff. We were just divvying up the plans as to who was to do what when the bomb went off. There were two explosions, one down the street, which forced everybody into the building, and one inside, right over center stage, which forced everybody to be trapped. Smoke and dust everywhere, you couldn't see. The spiral staircase was gone, and the giant chandelier fell from the ceiling. People were screaming in the fog. People were bleeding. Someone tried the fire alarm and found it didn't work or had been cut. I ran upstairs. I don't remember why. I think I wanted to find out who was on the floors above and found all but a little back staircase impassable. 
People were looking for anything to use as bandages. Between the two explosions, there was nowhere to go, either in or out of the building. I coughed up so much dust, my nose started to bleed. Most people made it to the lobby somehow. I never found anybody upstairs, and we all sat downstairs and waited for rescue, which somebody ran outside to get, and looked at each other with misery on our faces, and asked why. 120. When it comes to the matter of flowers, I wonder why we always give vegetative reproductive organs as gifts. What if we gave out animals, penises, etc. instead? What then? You have been listening to Pulsar, a book of poems by Ron Schaefer, on Ron's podcast. You can find out more by going to our website at solarwindmedia.com. Mm-hmm.